episode i am your host uh not clad in pink uh that's jeremy and i'm joined by the man who definitely supports the barbieheimer universe uh as always joined by my co-host michael michael how's it going yeah i know i know there's actually some debates as to whether or not it should be barbenheimer or oppen barbie I mean, um, just depends yeah, I haven't seen either one yet. I'm still waiting. I actually promised the group of friends that I'd wait and to go go see it with them, but I definitely will be wearing pink when I when I go to see Barbie. So I wore black when I went and saw Barbie, but uh, my girlfriend wore a pair of Barbie shoes that she found from Walmart. And nice. And like she she was like her and my best friend were both like dressed to the nines. It's like Barbie stuff. So it was pretty epic. It's nice. a good movie, though. I really enjoyed it. I've heard. I've heard. Yep. So, but yeah, uh, welcome to the fourth episode of uh, the instruction booklet. You know that we we like you know as we said in our previous episode, we didn't really know what we wanted to talk about this week, and we literally just decided what we wanted to talk about just a few minutes ago. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to talk about Barbie games, just all yeah. of the Barbie uh-huh. games yeah. ever made. The backlog, the long backlog of Barbie related video games. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Uh, we've got some. Uh, we've got a pretty interesting topic for us tonight uh, slash today. Whenever you're listening to this, uh, but uh, I guess first, uh, Michael, what's uh, what you've been up to lately? What you've been playing, reading, watching, doing? Well, a bunch of things. Um, I have started playing Stalker: Shadow of Chernobyl. Oh, that's um, a fantastic game. In part. Yeah, it's really, I'm really enjoying it. And actually, the reason I'm playing it finally is due in part to the fact that I just read um, Roadside Picnic um, by Arkady and Boris Strugatsky, which is the book that uh, the book and uh, the movie Stalker is actually kind of loosely based on. Mm. Um, I'm planning on teaching that book in my, uh, my course that I'm teaching in the fall. So I finally figured it was time to play Stalker. Yeah. Um, and then I've been reading Aristotle's Poetics, and I just finished right, uh, watching season three of The Righteous Gemstones with my family. So that's been fun. I need to watch that. I've been recommended it before. It's really funny. I mean, especially if you're somebody, you know, if you're an American uh, with, with I guess, like a Christian upbringing, it's, mm-hmm. it's just kind of funny because it, it does a lot to um, reflect on some of the more interesting cultural aspects uh, in a very satirical and funny way. Yeah. Um, I won't say anything else, but, you know, highly recommend. I think it's very good. Okay. 
Sweet. Uh, mostly for me, like I said, I went and saw Barbie uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I've been playing mostly cyberpunk. <laughs> I'm like, I'm about halfway through the game now, and then uh, I realized I never finished the final ending for Blasphemous when I was like, Blasphemous 2 came out, so I sat down for a day and knocked out my like fourth playthrough of Blasphemous. Nice. And I've been watching. I finished uh, the bear season two, which was fantastic. Oh, same, same. Um, and I'm happy that Futurama's back and what we do in the shadows is back. Been watching both of those and I've been reading uh, mostly for me. I've just been re- catching up on my comics because I got way behind on my comics. Sure. And I've been reading a bunch of like manga and stuff like that. So I was like, before before we even like sat down to start recording, I like knocked out the last two chapters of Dan to Dan because I was like super behind on it. Nice. But yeah. Um, your comment about the final ending of Blasphemous also reminded me that I just finished finally playing Returnal. Um, oh, yeah. Because it came out on PC earlier this year. Uh, and it has kind of an obnoxious, you know, like real ending. Um, thing that you have to do that involves just like a lot of backtracking and finding um items it's a very good game i highly recommend it especially if you're a fan of the kind of frantic um you know running gunning uh arena style action like doom eternal Mm -hmm. it's very good yeah i i i recommend anybody to play blasphemous because that game was that game kind of came out of nowhere for me and then i it took me a while to play it and then when I did, I was like, oh, my God, this is really good. Like, it really gave me that, like, Dark Souls 1 feel, but in, like, a 2D side-scroller sense. Yeah. And it got a sequel, which was, I wasn't expecting. Yeah. So. But, yeah. So, all right. Well, enough, you know, about some of the stuff. It's time to get into the actual, you know, meat of what we're going to talk about today. But uh, yes, we're going to talk about something that just kind of came up recently, which it kind of spawned from Michael sent me a screenshot article from the study about gaming preservation. And Mm -hmm. the two of us got to talk and we realized that like, this seems like a pretty important subject. So tonight and you know, today, whenever you listen to this, uh, we're going to talk about like some games that we remember that may not be highlighted and we're going to kind of use that as a way to talk about gaming preservation as a whole which is going to be kind of more like the meat of the episode but uh i think uh, michael you're gonna start us off with talking about some 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 old games that you know may be sort of lost or yeah. maybe inaccessible <laughs> due to other reasons games that i think have a kind of an interesting status uh that concerns me as far as preservation is concerned yeah um to kind of, I guess, just like give uh, listeners some context as to the article that I sent Jeremy. He'll get into the details a little bit more later. Um, but recently, there was kind of a study that uh, found that apparently 87% of games released in the U.S. before 2010 are not commercially available, um, which IGN reports as being a similar survival rate to silent films, actually. Um, and that's concerning. 87%. That's um, a lot. It, it uh, raises some questions about, you know, um, I guess, like how seriously we're taking video games as a medium and as an art form um, if we're not really interested in kind of going back and playing old things mm-hmm. um, and, and at least just preserving them so that they can be um, enjoyed the way that they were enjoyed when they first came out. 
And that latter part is kind of something that I want to talk about with regard to the games that I've chosen to highlight. Um, because when Jeremy and I were talking the other day, I could not help but think about games with weird peripherals. Yeah, like uh, uh, like a Guitar Hero kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Games that require you to have some weird, um, you know, third-party extra software, not software, hardware um, for controlling the game that is probably only going to be useful for that game itself. Now, of course, you know, people will, will go on to do, you know, no-hit runs of Elden Ring with Guitar Hero guitars and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, as far as these things are designed, they're designed for the games that they kind of ship with. Yeah, I think I think um, the example we both came to was Donkey Konga. Donkey Konga, yep. I I swear I still have the bongos for that somewhere. Um, and, you know, every once in a while you'll hear people, you know, in gaming news playing, I don't know, Smash Brothers tournaments with the Donkey Konga bongos. It's weird. It's funny. Um, but... You know, if you were to try and go back and play Donkey Konga now, certainly you might be able to find an emulation of it on the internet. You might be able to find, you know, a ROM that you can download or something that would allow you to play it on your computer. Um, or maybe you're even lucky enough to find a copy of the disc and you have a GameCube somewhere. Um, but if you don't have the bongos, right, there's something kind of intrinsically lost about the experience yeah. of playing the game differently than it was kind of intended to be played um, if we care about that thing it's like trying to play like a rhythm game where you just push your controller buttons like it's not it doesn't have the same yeah. like feel to it i remember that that was always an option with the original guitar hero games like actually you could play guitar hero with a controller but it's like you're losing something almost like i think kind of just like the point of the experience which is that it's meant to feel like you're playing a guitar at least for you know a kid yeah um and it's i think guitar hero is probably guitar hero and rock band they were at least big enough that i'm sure there's probably still a bunch of controllers sitting in a warehouse somewhere right um i have no doubt that you could probably find a guitar hero controller if you wanted to at least you know for a mainline guitar hero entry but there are some weirder examples uh, my brother and I, for a while, were really interested in um, Guitar Hero, and we had a we had a DS, Nintendo DS, and so I distinctly remember actually having a Guitar Hero game that was for the DS, and it was this wacky thing that required you to plug a fake fretboard uh, kind of deal into the um, the Game Boy Advanced slot in the DS, if I recall. And then you would have a guitar pick uh, shaped stylus that would allow you to kind of strum on the touch screen uh, as if you were trying to play with the Guitar Hero guitar on on a television. And looking back, it's like it's just kind of a wacky thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like certainly I must have. I mean, that's like that's not the kind of thing that I would sell. I don't even know if GameStop would probably pay you like four bucks for it. I'm sure. Or like there's got to um, be some like collector out there that just really has to have it. Right. Well, at this point, at this point, yes. Um, back in the day when it came out, probably not. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, it makes me think like, man, I really should find that. Um, but also kind of same problem. You know, if anyone, for whatever reason, were interested in going back and playing 
uh, Guitar Hero World Tour, I think this one was called. Let me just double check that real quick. Was that the this um, for the portable one? Yes. Yeah. Guitar Hero World Tour. I oh, know it came out on. I must be thinking of a different name then, because this one was for the Wii. Yeah. Regardless, it was. It's a thing that like. For whatever reason, if you wanted to play it, you probably can't anymore. At least not in the originally intended way. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, I was thinking about the WarioWare games. Um, all of them kind of had their own weird gimmicks in terms of how they would be played. My brother and I, I remember, were, were huge fans of both WarioWare uh, Touched for the DS and then WarioWare Twisted for uh, the Game Boy Advance. And yeah. It's crazy. I mean, if you go online, I just, you know, for fun, I went on Amazon and I went on eBay the other day and I just started looking at prices. There are copies, brand new copies of, of Warrior Wear Twisted available in, you know, upwards of hundreds, couple of hundreds of dollars. I think I saw one for $300. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, the, the game cartridge itself, it was very large because it had a built-in... Um, kind of like a gyroscope, I guess. I'm not sure exactly what the hardware was, but it would detect if you rotated the system. Mm. So like a steering wheel, you would be sitting there with the Game Boy advanced in your hands, kind of turning it left and right to do whatever wacky mini game it was that, you know, like the WarioWare games, they're full of just these nonsense mini games that pop up that you just have to do. Right. Um, <clears throat> and it was very cool. Uh, and so you you couldn't do that these days right i mean that's to say if you wanted to play warrior twisted the way that i experienced it when i was a kid if i ever wanted to you know out of a, a blast of nostalgia wanted to go back and play warrior twisted i would either have to shell out a ton of money first of all to get a new game boy advanced i have no idea where my game boy advanced is mm. um, and then probably pay another couple hundred dollars to get a working version of this game because certainly they're not making it anymore yeah, and, that's the only way I would be able to play this game. Yeah, and, and that's like, like just the the thought that they're like that is your options is it's either find and even if you found like an emulator, it, it wouldn't work the same. Like, you, right. So like, and and that's like a lot of this like the case of all of this just becomes the accessibility and the intention kind of like do these can you play these things the way that they were. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe I could hook up some kind of weird motion control to my computer. I mean, there were just it would have it would take a lot of effort. I feel like for me to recreate anything that looks even slightly like the original WarioWare touched experience or WarioWare twisted experience on my PC through the use of an emulator. Right. Um, same with WarioWare touched. I mean, I don't have a touch screen attached to my PC. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I could drag the mouse cursor up and down on the screen to do the things that were required in game, but it's again, just a fundamentally different experience. Right. Um, and especially with like the original game boy advanced, you know, certainly double a batteries are still available, but you know, if you were interested in playing on an SP, um, or even like a Nintendo, uh, DS, which could be backwards compatible with certain game boy advanced games, you would have to have a charger for it as well. Like, uh, even if I could find my Game Boy Advanced SP, I don't know that I have a charger for it. And that thing is not taking USB-C. So, like, 
you know, I don't even know that I'm going to be able to turn the thing on. How dare they not have USB compatibility back then? <laughs> I know, crazy. Where Nintendo should have been thinking ahead. Yeah, they, they should have been um, thinking so far ahead. And beyond WarioWare touched and twisted, I want to I want to bring some attention to perhaps what is the most absurd example of a game with a, a kind of a wacky peripheral. Maybe it's just a, a unique quirk of the hardware. Um, but there's a game by Mr. Hideo Kojima himself. Uh, he talks about it on his podcast, uh, which is definitely great, and you guys should go check out as well. Um, Baktai, The Sun is in Your Hand, is what the name of the original game is. This was a game for the Game Boy Advance. It came out in 2003 uh, in Japan and was later localized to the U.S. in, in September, um, September of 2003, so later that year. Basically, uh, this was a vampire hunting game for the original Game Boy Advanced, where you kind of had to play during the day and in direct sunlight because the game cartridge actually had a photometric light sensor, which would sense light exposure and would kind of like charge the game, which in game would give you sunlight missiles that you could use to blast the vampires in game. That's so weird. So it's a very, it's so weird. Um, I mean, I just imagine, you know, like being a little kid trying to play this game and being disappointed because it's nighttime, you know, like. Right. Oh, man, I can't, uh, I can't play Boktai. The Sun is Near. I just bought it, you know, like. Imagine there's a midnight release for this game. <laughs> oh my god! So many people would be disappointed. <laughs> be able to play it. Yeah. You see, like you see, like people uh, like plugging their cartridge in as they're walking out of the GameStop. Like, what? What? I can't beat this boss. Yeah. <laughs> this game is too hard. Yeah. Um, who knows if they would have done that kind of thing back in the day? But that is a funny thought. Yeah. Somehow, Boktai ended up getting two sequels that continued to use this technology. Um. It wasn't until later in the series that, uh, what is it? I think the fourth Boktai game. Like Lunar uh, which, Touch or whatever. Yeah, Lunar Nights. Or so it it rebranded um, so as to kind of move the game series away from, I guess, this wacky reliance on the need to be playing outside and in the sun. Um, and I guess it's another one of those things, you know, where previously you were mentioning with regard to emulation. Mm. I'm if I emulate Boktai, the sun is in your hand on my computer. Certainly I can maybe get a sense of what playing the game was like back in the day. But something is going to be different about the experience. You know, I'm not going to be standing outside in my backyard, you know, sun blazing in my face, getting third degree burns, trying to get you know, uh, uh, enough charge so I can shoot the vampires with my PC. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be playing, I'm going to be playing an emulator that just has, I don't know, some, some lines of code written to figure out how exactly the charge system is going to work. I mean, clearly Kojima wanted kids to go out and touch grass. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what his justification for that was? It's bizarre. Yeah. He's like, man, um, kids are staying inside too much. I need to make a game where they have to play during the day. Yeah, um, and it, it has me concerned because I think, you know, Nintendo, especially as a company, was interested in kind of exploring these bizarre controllers. Um, 
you know, you look at Sony and you look at uh, Microsoft and for the large part, their controllers have been mostly the same since around the Xbox PlayStation one era. And, you know, aside from some missteps, right? We, we all remember the connect probably. Yeah. Um, PlayStation uh, VR is actually still kind of doing quite well with their motion controls, I think. So that works at least. But Nintendo has always been interested in trying to reinvent the wheel. I mean, you know, ever since the Wii, I feel like at least. Well, that makes um, me think about like some wacky stuff. Makes me think about like what I was talking about yesterday, where it was like, uh, you can't play Duck Hunt on modern televisions. Yeah, why was that again? Because the how light guns work. Uh, they have to mm-hmm. have the reflection off the CRT to actually like function correctly so like any of like the light gun games for like the nes era and i don't know for sure i'd have to like look up but like you know the super scope for the snes i think also used like the the light gun peripheral but it has to have that like reflective screen to like bounce the information back yeah to let you know like where on the screen the to to, to register the hit hmm so like yeah, interesting. Nintendo always just doing like bizarre things. Yeah, emulating Duck Hunt would probably be the most disappointing experience because it would just be as easy as clicking on the ducks on the screen if you're playing with a mouse and keyboard. Yeah, <laughs> high score, speed speed run Duck Hunt. Let's go. Yeah, I used to have that was actually one of the first games I ever owned, and I remember I used to just walk up to the TV and put the zapper right on the screen. Oh, yeah. I thought it was so cool because I was beating everything. I'm sure you, you you eventually filled the duck hunt dog full of lead too, like most everybody else yep. did. Of course, it's a rite of passage. Yeah. Um. But you know, I think this also just raises some concerns about other controllers like vr is becoming an increasingly big thing yeah Um, and and while i personally don't feel that there's enough incentive for me to want to spend a couple of hundred dollars on a vr headset just yet i mean you know i think there are some compelling reasons why i might half-life alex i think first and foremost among them um i worry about how these things are going to be archived especially if it requires extra hardware yeah um and beyond that even if it is possible to archive it you know even if it is possible for people and enthusiasts to have descriptions of games and have playable uh roms of the games on the internet i worry that something is just going to be lost about a lot of these games that do require weird peripherals Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of makes me sad to think that um you know worry aware twisted might be lost to uh <laughs> lost the time lost the time yeah yeah okay but who knows yeah well i see see for me i'm, I'm gonna go a different direction <laughs> you, yeah. you talked about all these weird peripherals i'm gonna talk about a weird pc game <laughs> that i played when i was younger uh i'm gonna talk about a game called Knox, and uh it was one of the earliest games I, I remember playing on my PC outside of uh, my copy of Chex Quest that I got out of my cereal box, which was just... I was going to ask if it was related to the cereal. Yep, I got it out of a A lot of people, like, it's crazy, like, doing research about Chex Quest because it was a Doom clone. Hmm. 
Yeah, it was pretty crazy. But uh, but but Knox was a game published by Westwood Studios and EA in 2000. Uh, and it was an action RPG hybrid. And it was kind of interesting. Uh, it used the uh, the uh, kind of like the Diablo one, Diablo two, like third person perspective. But it had this really crazy mechanic of having a fog of war system where like you couldn't see down hallways. If you like your character didn't have line of sight, they couldn't see. Hmm. Yeah, and it like dynamically just blacks out portions of the screen. So, and it had this like nice, like long single player campaign, and it had three different classes. It had a wizard, a warrior, and a conjurer. And each one played like uniquely different, and each one started in a different locations. And like they would have like different intros, and eventually all the characters would like, there was always like a, like a junction point where the story kind of lines up. Uh, one of the very first things I remember about this game, though, was it had an FMV sequence at the very beginning with this, like, the the bad, the main bad guy or whatever. It was like this necromancer reciting some kind of spell, and she's got, like, candles around her, and the candles go out. And in the middle of her spell, she just goes, damn, second-rate candle makers. Kill them all when I rule the world. And nice. The, and the main character has the MacGuffin on top of his television, and it pulls him into the pulls him into the portal into this world that is the game so it was kind of it had, had a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor in it. but uh what was really neat about the game on well is it had it had its own pvp mode that was like an fps game which had like deathmatch catch of the flag king of the hill and <laughs> it like the the developers wanted it to play like an fps because like Quake and Unreal were popular at the time. Um, this game also featured a a free expansion, and by free, I mean it took me like a day to download it on 56k internet because <laughs> it was like two gigabytes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so two whole gigabytes, two whole gigabytes. Yeah, uh, showing my age there. Um, it was called Knot's Quest, and it was a co-op multiplayer mode that was kind of like a really neat twist on like what we would consider now like a horde mode or something. But it was done in like almost like a Diablo kind of look. But you would have these little like portal generator things that would just churn out monsters. And it had like an infinite number of levels. And it was it was a lot of fun, like, you know, and Knox had this really interesting like following. There was like ladder and, and clans for the PvP mode. Uh, but eventually the company that produced it, Westwood Studios, they went bankrupt and EA gained full control of it. And when EA got full control over it, they just killed the servers. Like completely just stopped the game's like online community. Unfortunate. Um, the great part being like, you know, online communities doing what online communities do is, you know, they they've done their best to keep it alive through the years. Um, surprisingly, nice. you can purchase Knox on GOG. Uh, unfortunately, you cannot play it on modern systems without patching it or running your computer in a compatibility mode. And that just kind of like makes me think about like, like for a game that I like, I had like a long, like, like beloved, like memory of like playing, sitting on my computer for hours. Uh, it sucks that like, you have to jump through all these hoops to just to make it work. And I yeah. actually own Knox on like GOG because I wanted it. Like I, I, I replayed it and everything, but I, I had to like download like three or four different like 
community patches. This wasn't even like patches that was delivered through GOG. Like they didn't provide you any of that. Like if you spend five dollars and buy this game, congratulations, you've bought a brick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like it's not not even like you know those. So there are some games these days where, without an unofficial patch, people say it's quote unquote unplayable. You know, like yeah. Vampire the Masquerade or Deus Ex, but they're really not unplayable. What people mean is just like they're really bad. Mm-hmm. What you mean is that this game is actually unplayable. Yeah, like you cannot wow. play this game if you buy it on GOG. Uh. And, and and if the people from GOG are somehow listening to our show, uh, I'm sorry if I'm shitting on you. <laughs> yeah. also, also, if you want to sponsor us, you know, we'll, we'll happily take a few free games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, and, and this game came out before Diablo 2. So, like, you know, Diablo 2, like, the ARPG of, like, the early 2000s that, like, tons of people played, even myself. This, this game, Nox, came out before it predates that game. Uh, and it came out like months before it so it had time mm-hmm. and then like you know the studio the development goes goes belly up the the company that was providing most of the money takes it over and then just kills it and then it just kind of yeah. sits there and people kind of forget about it and then like you can buy it but it doesn't really work unless you go to like some form website for a bunch of people who really like this game and like like imagine like if that community didn't exist around the game. You know, it's yeah. It's just a brick of a game that you can buy. It would have just disappeared. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just it's stuff like that that like, you know, that's part of what made me get to thinking about this and then this article comes out. So I guess like, you know, this kind of leads us into like you know, the main thing of that we were trying to talk about is like this whole preservation idea. Um, and I have some, like some interesting, like excerpts from the study. Like it was like a 51 page, like research where someone like went in and took like a large sample size, uh, and determined like, you know, what was working, what wasn't working, you know, and what we mean by like, I guess, preservation, if we wanted to like create like a, a good definition would be like, you know, being able to access these games readily for purposes of even research, just for enjoyment, anything. Yeah. You know, th- there's even a section in the report, like for even like you, Michael, where it talks about like the effects of preservation on research. Yeah. So it's, it's concerning and it's something that I've kind of bumped up against in my own, in my own work because I was, um, I'm in the middle of working on my, my prospectus right now, as I start working on my dissertation and I wanted to write a little bit about Colossal Cave Adventure. Mm-hmm. And there's a version, there's a um, web browser version of the game that's available online. And I started writing some stuff that like without even thinking about it, I was just like, right, you know, I was writing about the version of the game that I was playing, but then I actually had the, the, the thought to go back and check um, if that, if the things that I was writing about were even present in the original game. Mm-hmm. I think... It's it's the Mac version of the game. We'll get more into this eventually because uh, I think we're going to talk about this game later on. But in the Mac version of the game, there is a line at the bottom that asks what's next. Mm-hmm. It's like it's meant to be the area that the prompt for where you would type in the command to do whatever it is that you were going to do in the game. And 
looking back at gameplay and at footage, I say footage, it's a text-based game, yes. of the original, there doesn't seem to be that same command line. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, wow, well, like maybe I shouldn't be writing about this because actually this wasn't in the original, you know, 77 version of the game. Um, and it's certainly not in the 2023 remake that just came out earlier this year, uh, which I've been meaning to check out. That's a full 3D first person remake of, of Colossal. I think it's just called Colossal Cave. It's on Steam. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for research purposes, it, it makes it exceptionally difficult um, to be a, a scholar of the early video game industry, um, which I'm not claiming to be, but you know, it, for research purposes, it's 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 important to know, I guess, where the chain of influences go, mm-hmm. um, and when these things just aren't preserved properly or in their original form, it's it's kind of hard to get the facts straight. Well, you know, and it's some of the stuff that we've run into, even like we've even mentioned it in in the previous just episodes where we've talked about history where it's like there's stuff that we've we may have missed because it's not been preserved correctly you know there, there are games that are just gone uh like so like i guess like talking a little bit more about the study like they define like three systems as like areas of interest uh, and then define them as like abandoned neglected or active so like an abandoned eco- ecosystem here that they have listed is like with low commercial interest and very few games to get available would be like the commodore 64 which mm-hmm. that's something for us in our next few episodes is going to be something that's kind of important uh yeah. and then a neglected one which even to me like even when i read this report still kind of blew my mind was like the game boy like huh. like the Commodore 64 has like there's only like 4.5% of its overall library is still like available. And then you've got like the Game Boy which had like like just I can't remember the actual I'm trying to remember the number here. I had it written down. Uh the the Game Boy had just like another like yeah. So like five only like maybe like 5% of their overall ecosystem was available for the Game Boy with like the color in and the advance. It all came out to like 12% of the overall game Game Boy library, including like Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance is available. <laughs> like, and it, it suffered like heavily earlier this year when the Wii U and the 3DS eShop went down. Yeah. And then, like a current active ecosystem that they have that's su- that's surprisingly like low was like the PlayStation, PlayStation Two, with only like twenty percent available. Hmm. So it's like it's not just like you know if you're thinking like oh yeah well I, I can't get Atari twenty six hundred or you know I can't find like a a Coleco like no though it's like there are things that are still like you would consider like newer that's just already starting to fade away like a game boy or the playstation 2 which is just wild to think about yeah it it doesn't seem as real i think for some people when it's consoles that predate you Mm -hmm. you know if you tell me that i don't know only two percent of games are available for 
you know, the Atari VCS or, or the Commodore. Yeah, right? you're like, whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, that makes sense, right? Who even played that console? Um, yeah. But when you, when you tell me, like, you know, that there's tons of games missing for, I don't know, the GameCube or the PlayStation 2, all of a sudden it's like, what? Like, I feel like I just played that last week. You know, mm-hmm. you're telling me I can't just go to GameStop and get a copy of, I don't know, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. Like, that's yeah. wild. Yeah, it's 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 like just terrible. <laughs> yeah. And like you know, in, in this like they had it and they did like they had they had like a breakdown. Uh they took like out of a random sample of like four hundred games released for the Commodore sixty four, you know, they they find maybe four percent of them. And then like hmm. you know, and the Nintendo was like the Game Boy was doing okay. And then this shutdown happened earlier this year. And this is kind of what uh, in in the article, like it, the research, it mentions like this was kind of like the catalyst for starting this survey it was like in March of, of 23rd of this year, they saw the 3DS and the Wii U eShop shut down and it took almost like a thousand games out of like, like out of availability. Yeah. Just like, just like that in the blink of an eye. Yeah, it's like gone. <laughs> so, it's it's concerning. I think with um, it 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 seems almost absurd to suggest this, right? But digital libraries in general, Steam, the Epic Game Store, GOG, you know, whatever whatever platform it is, uh, especially as some companies are very insistent on having their own. You know, it's like if you want to play a Blizzard game, you specifically have to have the Blizzard launcher. Mm-hmm. Um, it raises concerns to me about uh, what it means to actually like own these games. You know, if you're lucky enough to have bought this thing and downloaded it, it's like cool, you have it as long as your hard drive lasts. Um, but when that digital accessibility goes away, it's like you're you're now actually kind of in a position of your your ownership of this game is precarious. Yeah. Right. If for whatever reason, you know, Valve goes under and Steam shuts down, it's like what happens to all? How many games do I have on Steam? Oh, what mine? happens to all uh, like you know 250 of the games that I have on Steam? Right. Hmm. Um. And and I remember what is it? I think I heard the other day that. Alan Wake 2 is not having a physical release. Um, I think they will be selling boxes, but I'm pretty sure the boxes are only going to have digital download codes. That's crazy. And that's crazy because it's like, you know, what happens if, I don't know, like what happens if I don't have internet access? Uh, Or what happens if the files become no longer available at some point in the future? Obviously, this isn't going to happen tomorrow, but you know 20 years from now let's say if 20 years from now i go back and i decide i want to play alan wake 2 what is the state of the industry going to look like is it still going to be possible for me to do that or am i going to have to wait for you know alan wake 2 16k remake for the ps7 (laughs) you know i'm sure we'll be who knows right yeah whatever you get what i'm saying Mm -hmm. it's just like yeah, and, and that, uh, I guess that kind of bleeds into the point of like, apparently, like, and and in the in this like research, like this this document, like they talk about like some people are being very forward about it, like 
Sony even has like an entire like division developed to making sure that they can preserve some things. So that's that's good. Like, you know, it's it's good to know that like there are some people out there that recognize that hey, you know, we need to make sure that some games need to be preserved to the point of like importance. I think even like there's like a quote from Phil Spencer in this thing. Like this guy who works for for Microsoft. Um but then you get into like the other weird things where like now sometimes it's almost like people are removing games for intense purposes. Like I, I sent you this quote today, like the the one for Sega, where it's like uh uh for what was that? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I wrote in a notable example, Sega, the owners of Sonic the Hedgehog franchise, withdrew 10 Sonic titles from digital marketplace in 2010 due to their poor quality in order to, quote, increase the value of the Sonic brand. While some of those mm-hmm. titles have been reissued, others have not. Sega has not commented on why they did or did not reissue certain titles, but presumably they would not reissue titles they believe they believe there was no longer interest in. This is their right. As the Entertainment Software Association stated in 2020, copyright owners not only have the right to reissue their games, but also the, quote, right to decide not to do any of those things. However, Hmm. this is still a loss to the availability of historical titles. So like Sega in 2010 was just like, "Mm, no one cares about Sonic right now. Let's just scoop up these 10 games. And then later they just re-released them in like a bundle or a package with like, you know, triple A price on it. So it's like, you know, there's like this weird like corner case marketability thing where if you pull games out of historical usage and then re-release them in a bundle for $30, $40, you know, because yep. you made it unavailable. Like there's this like weird point of how much of this is them intentionally like removing it versus you know, not caring. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, even if they don't directly pull games from, 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 uh, availability, I think there are concerns about, you know, when games naturally get phased out in terms of, uh, being obsolete on, on current hardware, I'm thinking of metal gear solid, like metal gear solid three remake is, is coming very mm-hmm. excited. I will pay full price for it. Um, but there's going to be, you know, the uh, the bundle, I think, with uh, Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 alongside it, uh, as far as I know. Yeah, I, I, they're, they're re-releasing 1, 2, and 3 on the Switch as well. Yeah, I have been waiting years to replay those games um, because I frankly, I mean, like, aside from finding an emulator, which I suppose is possible, I don't have hardware like i don't have a ps3 anymore i don't have a ps2 anymore i don't have a ps1 anymore i just don't have the hardware to actually track down and then play these games like authentically i suppose um and you know thankfully metal gear is a important enough franchise it's a marketable enough franchise that sony will keep it alive because they recognize there's money in it Mm -hmm. um but you know there might not be money in uh, a Nox or a Boktai or a WarioWare. Um, and who knows what the, what the status of these games will be 
these you know classic games as they get older and harder to track down and, and maybe there's no it's deemed not commercially valuable to try and revive them yeah well you know and, and in some cases with preservation there's even like limits of just like technology uh yeah or you know and there's some of them like when i was reading it was talking about like licensing agreements uh where those can get really complicated and messy uh there's a here's an like there's an excerpt from the article it says uh, the popular x-men arcade game from 1992 was developed by konami was not reissued until 2010 due to konami's licensing agreement with the x-men right holder marvel and the license agreement, which gave Konami the limited ability to distribute the game in arcades, likely expired soon after the game's original release. Presumably, Konami only acquired a license for the years they expected to manufacture and distribute the game and did not plan to keep it in production for decades. Hmm. Um, and then, strangely enough, a few years later, uh, the game has been re-released after some time in a limited replica arcade cabinet that's fetching a price tag of $749.99. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, and that's kind of like what you're talking about earlier, where you could, yeah, you could go play these games, but you'd have to like buy a PlayStation 2. You might have to track down a copy of this game. How much right. is that game? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's stupid price, like for older games. I, uh, last year, I went to this thing called Game Jam South and there are vendors there selling classic games and like i think i was telling this yesterday with the notes uh going over is like i have a very fond memory of playing the nes version of like ducktales they re-released that game a few years ago i bought the remaster because turns out if you try and buy like an nes copy of ducktales it can cost you like a hundred dollars just to own that that cartridge Huh. And I have an NES. I have like a functioning, like a working NES here at my house. I don't have a copy of DuckTales and I wouldn't like to play it. But like, I'm not paying $100 for something that costs like 20 Yeah. <laughs> like the market is absurd in like secondary areas. Yeah. So to, th to think that an X-Men game that was popular in the arcades that konami could have like you know settled things with marvel made some game put it out on like a digital or like even just a re-release instead they make a limited quantity of it in an arcade cabinet and sell it for like 780 dollars yeah that was like last year with uh they finally put mvc2 out they re-released mvc2 again in only an arcade cabinet version that's that sucks why would i just don't understand let's like there's money on the table you know yeah so you're making like what 500 cabinets at like 800 dollars a pop when if you like released it on a digital storefront for 60 dollars, you could probably like hit a wider you know you cast a wider net but i don't know yeah <laughs> i'm not in this position of power to make these decisions yeah well, that's why, you know, I, I appreciate the work being done by um, actual institutions to, like, try and archive these things. Um, I wish my university was this cool, but apparently um, the University of Michigan Library actually has a video game archive. 
nice. um, that literally just has a collection of old consoles and video games and, and board games from the 70s up until the present. Mm-hmm. There's like a part of the library. You can just go and and play these things if they have them, um, which is cool. And it's glad to see a university kind of taking this project seriously. I know the University of Michigan is actually quite good in terms of um, their interest in video game studies and archiving video game history. Um, Video Game History Foundation has like a whole website kind of dedicated to uh, game preservation. Yeah. And then um, the Internet Archive actually has a backlog of like ROMs and down, uh, downloadable, emulatable games. Not uh, not downloadable, but games that you can emulate actually on their archive uh, going back, I think, as early as 77, hmm. um, which is pretty crazy. You can even just go online and just like play them you know, yourself if you're listening and you want to take a look at what they have. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, it, uh, we keep we've used this word a few times throughout the night, and I guess we get like expand upon it a little bit. But like we keep bringing up like emulation, and you know emulation is great. It the the good part about emulation is it's mostly fan, and it's mostly like people who are passionate about it, and they, you know they build these versions. The problem being, there are organizations, you know, and companies out there that are like not really happy about emulation. <laughs> Yeah, and that Cost kind of off Nintendo. Yeah, I feel like like throughout the night, it's like you've been like, oh, this, this, and I'm just like been like, man, fuck the companies. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's true. Like the these companies, like I don't understand, like you know, the things that they have to lose to be like allow games to be accessible. And you know, yeah, emulation does such a great job. I, I had a coworker today. I was telling him about some of the stuff we were looking at, and he brought up a game that I'd completely forgot about. Uh, that he was like, "I can't believe Square Enix let the game shine or die," and that was Parasite Eve. Huh. I and, recall the name. I don't remember the game, but yeah, it was like a weird. Uh, it was a Square Enix game. It was like this weird, like RPG Resident Evil hybrid kind of game. And it's like, oh, right, yeah. You know, and I think you can only play that game through emulation right now. Hmm. So, or, uh, I, you know, and then it gets to like, we're, like we were talking to like, you know, you're talking about like Colossal Cave Adventure. I think you brought it up yesterday with the notes where we were talking about like, what about stuff like PT or like games that are just gone? Yeah. Where it's like, if this game gets remade and someone didn't find every single little thing, is it still like the authentic game? That's the thing that, like, has me not interested in remakes of PT. Uh, um, you know, like, and I'm not going to buy a, you know, $1,000 PlayStation 4 that somebody downloaded it on and still has it. Um, if somebody remakes PT, like, painstakingly, maybe they have the original game and they go through and they find everything. I'm sure people have hacked the game files at this point, right? Didn't they find out that the ghost, like, follows you around constantly? Um, I guess like my concern would just be that, you know, there's going to be something that doesn't translate into the new version. Somebody's going to miss something. I feel like, yeah. Um, and just that means that no new secrets will ever be found, right? Um, because it's just going to be transported into a playable version onto the PC, um, with whatever 
had just been discovered at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that, you know, a video game is not going to be a bottomless well of, of secrets, you know, uh, but still, you know, it's a little bit disappointing. Right. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like everything's like doom and gloom. Like, you know, luckily there's a lot of places like, you know, you mentioned like the universities, stuff like that. The, the website that we, that we found all this information is called like gamehistory.org. And they do like a really great job of like doing their best to like preserve things. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those, like, you know, is it, is it sucky that like, you know, 85% of games before 2010 are playable? Absolutely. Uh, are there steps being taken? Yeah, there seems to be people out there that legitimately care and are like making an effort to like preserve things. So, yep. you know, will we ever get Knox remastered? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Um, though, you know, I think it is cool to see. It's cool on some level to see uh, the the recent wave of remastering old games. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, just in the past few years, we've had Resident Evil 2, 3, and 4, Dead Space, uh, Demon Souls, uh, System Shock just came out. I yep. do want to play that at some point. Uh, yeah, there was, I think, there's been a ton of them just in, the, yeah, the last two, three years that are just like remakes. Like, they did, like, Advance Wars 1 and 2. Uh, mm-hmm. the Nintendo just surprised dropped out of nowhere in the middle of, like, March, Metroid Prime. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, and they, like, updated the controls and everything, like, and it was just like, oh, uh, thank, thanks, Nintendo, for for that. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I think it was either last year or year before last, Nintendo did the Super Mario All-Star Collection, where it had, like, Super Mario 64, uh, Sunshine, and Galaxy, and it was, like, a limited run, limited-tied run. I, I bought it because I love Galaxy, and... yeah. Uh, it was just kind of neat to, to to own, you know, like sometimes, you know, like some of these developers have done some kind of odd and shades, but like, you know, it seems like we're in this point where people are more interested in remastering old things that either may have been missed or, you know, or beloved, like just a few weeks ago, Nintendo announced that they're redoing Super Mario RPG. Yeah, and I did see that. I'm excited about that because I it's a game I never got to play. Same. So, and uh, I think in October they're re-releasing Star Ocean 2, which is a game that I really enjoyed. And then, like, you know, you've got, like, services and stuff like that, too. Like, I know, like, there's PlayStation Premium. Uh, I think there's, like, Xbox Live Arcade. I don't know if that's still the thing. It might be something else. And then, like, Nintendo has Nintendo yeah. Online, which has, like, a couple of old consoles. But they're only, like, slowly trickling stuff in. Yeah. And then you, I mean, you just reminded me that I used to, I used to love the arcade uh, games on Xbox. Yeah. Like on my 360, I used to look for new games to download off the arcade. And there's games like I'm just I'm thinking back now, and it's like, could I even play these games anymore? It's funny you mentioned that because there's a game I have on Steam that I played on Xbox. I never owned an Xbox, but I played on a friend's Xbox. And I have it, and I have to actually, I have to, I had to get a, like a fan patch to make it work in Steam as well, Geometry Wars, like original Geometry Wars. I remember that one. I used to play the hell out of that game. And then one day I was like, I tried to boot it up and Steam was like, oh no, you can't run this anymore. And I'm like, I'm sorry. 
what? <laughs> um, yeah, like, you know, if they could only just do more with it, like, yeah. but like, how hard is it to take, a, you know, an NES cartridge and port it over to something to where you can have like a stored digital copy of it? Yeah. Uh, so I you you just I just discovered a core memory <laughs> oh. five five seconds ago as we were talking about Xbox Live Arcade games. There is a game called Snoopy Flying Ace. <laughs> okay, it came out in in 2010 for the Xbox 360. It was a a multiplayer deathmatch style. Um, Snoopy, like from from uh, Peanuts, like Charlie Brown, uh-huh. um, dog fighting game. Oh shit! You fl- you flew planes. There were different. You know, you could customize planes. There were different types of planes, different weight classes. They had fast planes. They had medium planes. They had big planes, and you had two different weapons that you could outload. And it was like it was a dog fighting game. You know, you could play deathmatch. You could play capture the flag. I, me, and my friend. Um, Bob he used to play this game so much that we were actually on top of the leaderboards. I think we were both top five at one point for uh, Capture the Flag specifically. Wow. Um, incredible game. Actually, just an incredible game. And I cannot believe that I, it just took me until right now to remember <laughs> that this game existed. I, like, how would I ever play this game again? Has, has anybody thought to make an emulator on the internet for Snoopy Flying Ace? I mean, who knows? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to look. There's got to be like a, then. like a Reddit, Reddit subreddit somewhere that's just like, like Snoopy is like Red Baron kind of like. Yeah. You know, but even then, even then it's like. There's no what multiplayer servers are they going to be for this? Like, like, I'm never going to have the ability to actually have the experience of playing Snoopy Flying Ace online with random people that I match made into like ever again. Yeah. I mean, that was the case for the longest time with uh, the Scott Pilgrim uh, beat em up game. It got delisted and the only way you could you could play it was if you already had it downloaded. And then last year they they finally like settled the rights between Universal and uh, the people that produced the game and they re-released the Scott Pilgrim game. And like, I snapped it up immediately. I was just like, I'm buying this and putting it on my Switch in case this situation ever happens again. Uh, there was a similar situation with GoldenEye. Like, that was a huge release this year. So they, they re-released GoldenEye. But like, it was in such like limbo because there were like so many different hands in like the licensing pot for it. Mm-hmm. So, like, a game that I remember playing so much on my N64, like, having parties at my house with all of my friends standing around playing four-player split-screen GoldenEye, it took them so long to remake that game. Yeah. Like, you know, and there's just, like, there's so many other things out there. That's why I was really impressed with, like, I know I know, I've, I've, I think this is like the third week in a row we've probably brought this game up, but like I am thoroughly impressed with how well Street Fighter Six has like old games yeah. built into it. It's very cool. Like the idea that I can just go and sit down in a cabinet and not even play actual Street Fighter Six, I can go play Street Fighter Two. 
in yeah. Street Fighter Six. I, I wish that you know, like, there was just a library somewhere that I could actually, like, in the game, like, let me play what I want to play. Like, don't make me just wait for it to show up on the right week, yeah, or right day or whatever. It is cool though. Yeah, like. It seems like in the last few years, like I, I used to shit on Capcom a lot because they they forgot Mega Man and Mega Man's like a beloved thing for me. Yeah. But it seems as in like the last few years, like Capcom has started to do a better job of like releasing old stuff, except for Marvel vs. Capcom 2. But, you know, yeah. that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> like, come on, Capcom and Marvel, you want to make a shitload of money? Just re-release MVC 2 with rollback yeah. code. Yeah, I, I think Capcom is starting to realize that they have a lot of um, nostalgia factor. Yeah, in, like in their games. The what was it last year? The Capcom collection that had all the Darkstalkers games on it was released, and it had Rollback Netcode, and it just sold like gangbusters. Yeah, that made so much money off that. I mean, and it, it had a bunch of it had like Red Earth and like a mech fighting game that never made it to the states. That everybody's just like, what is this? So. It's one of those things like, okay, yeah, I get it. Some of you want to make money off remastering and re-releasing your games like a billion times, but, you know, can you, can you just, like, throw us a bone every once in a while? Yeah. <laughs> so. But, yeah. I think something that also concerns me is um, online games. Games as a, a service, I guess. Games as a service is probably a more recent term. Um, like MMOs. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking like MMOs. Um, some older MMOs have dedicated player bases that are interested in kind of like running, I guess now like um, fan run games. I'm, I'm thinking like Toontown. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Wizard 101 is probably still kicking somewhere. I think City of Heroes um, has moved into like fan territory. Yeah. Star Wars Galaxies has moved into fan territory. Um, but, you know, it to me, I guess, I guess also just kind of raises that question of, you know, A, what happens when the game companies that are, you know, running these games and operating the servers, what happens when they decide that it's no longer um, profitable for them to do so? Or B... What happens when players lose interest in the game such that the core experience of the game is kind of broken by the fact that there's no longer a community, no longer at least enough of a community that uh, the game functions as intended? Right. You know, if I were to log into World of Warcraft tomorrow and there was nobody online, you know, like that's an absurd ex example, but just say, for instance... Um, something just intrinsic would be lost about the game, yeah. right? Um, which is, you know, my per my comments about Snoopy Flying Ace, right? <laughs> like, I, sure, maybe I could find a downloadable version of the game somewhere, but if there's nobody to play it with, it's like, well, you know, I might as well not have the game. Right, I bet it doesn't even have, like, it wouldn't even have, like, bot support. <laughs> right, yeah, it might, I don't know, but even then, you know? Yeah. It's... Um, it's all just like really weird to think about like when stuff like that like i played world of warcraft when it first came out and then like when and I, I i have a lot of great memories of that and then when classic came out 
I got it and was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be like that. And it just, the game was so heavily optimized. It was just like, oh, like all the, like the magic and the fun's kind of gone. <laughs> yeah. So. I think something that's important to highlight about this discussion that we're having as far as like preservation is concerned this is not a problem that i think is as serious in other forms of media like obviously we we made that comment earlier i made that comment earlier about um silent film yeah but you know books right oh yeah books can go out of print but a book you will just need the text somewhere if somebody has made a digital archive of it and you can read it then you almost ha- like you know you can make arguments about well you're not holding it you're not flipping through the pages to me that's a different a whole different ballpark than you know like well i can't fucking flip my pc around the way i would uh, my my game boy advance for warrior where twisted um movies even you know like obviously vhs is probably hard to to come by these days i'm i'm certain collectors somewhere have vhs tapes and vhs machines certainly yeah but a lot of the time you just need a dvd player i mean at least for the past couple of decades if you have a dvd player you can probably play most of the movies you can find um, or even just stream it yeah, it's, it's I, I, the amount of streamability is insane with movies nowadays. I worry less about the loss of, I guess, what I'm calling like an authentic re- original experience. You, we might be able to have a more nuanced discussion about whether the original experience is authenticity is something that we should even desire. I think for a, his, a historical, you know, scholarly kind of research perspective, geez, um, it is something that I desire. Uh, but you know movies it's like you know I don't know you just watch the movie right sure sure you're not in the theater you know Christopher Nolan if he's gonna get mad about not watching something in IMAX or whatever but um, it's it's an odd dilemma that I think is particularly serious for video games And, Mm -hmm. and so I think there's perhaps not really an existing precedent for how to handle this kind of thing right which is concerning. Yeah. You know, the, you know, it, it kind of loops back around to the, the, the video games as art kind of thing. Like the, if, if you play a remake of a game, are you still getting the, you know, the developer and the director's like original intentions with some of the stuff in the game? Yeah. So, and preservation. And, and even if like with the preservation point, like it's so ridiculous now, like how accessible stuff is. I, I think there was, a, we had a meme about it at some point in our discord server talking about like dark souls where it's like, think about like DS one with people playing it and they didn't know anything. And then the internet comes along and you can play the game and find every single little secret. Right. So yeah. like I would have never known that you need to curl up into a ball and have a, a crow carry you back to the starting area to find a, piece of paper to let me fall through a painting right. <laughs> if it hadn't have been for Frexter life. <laughs> Extra life I didn't even know until like two years ago that you could join the Gravelord 
yeah. uh, covenant. So, um, and now that's like one of my favorite ways to play the game is like rushing the Gravelord greatsword before literally anything else. So, um, like the think about the original experience of DS one when it first came out, where it was just like you know, where Miyazaki's intention was for people to spread this information via word of mouth. Yeah. Like in the, same, in the same way that people in arcades might, you know, spread like you know uh, fatalities for Mortal Kombat, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm glad you mentioned Dark Souls actually because um, I was lucky enough to have played Dark Souls One on PC back in the day, mm-hmm. um, and I got the Prepare to Die edition. Yeah, um, which now is coveted on Steam, despite despite the fact that it is broken. Um, there's apparently some differences between the remaster on Steam and the Prepare to Die edition um, that has people, in many cases, preferring the Prepare to Die edition. I'm not sure exactly what the differences are, um, but I know that I think if you go on, uh, I don't know, like G2A. Yeah. Let me just double check, because I think you can still get the Prepare to Die edition on G2A through a third-party seller, but people are selling it for like stupid high hundreds yes yeah, stupid high dark souls prepare to die edition steam key global 327 dollars. <laughs> holy crap <laughs> right like why i well, just don't understand like is the remaster that bad you well, there guys you go. are gonna have to look into it for me just, i don't know just sell your steam account man <laughs> yeah yeah good but if, but if i go on if i go to my library and uh, i go to the store page for dark souls prepare to die edition it actually just tells me that it's not available anymore right uh, it says Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition is no longer available on the Steam Store. Notice online services are no longer available for this product. So I can't even PvP. So if actually, if I want to play Dark Souls PvP, I have to buy the remaster. Right. Which, wow. you know, thankfully, I don't really have any interest in doing that right now. But, like, that's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's, just, it's all kind of crazy. So. But. All right. I think. We'll wrap this up. Uh, you got any final closing thoughts on game preservation that you want to impart to the listeners, Michael? I think if there's one thing that I would have told my younger self, and so maybe like, you know, take this with you moving forward for those of you who are gaming enthusiasts and who actually like buying physical things to hold on to, um, don't throw anything out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I sold so many of my old Super Nintendo games at one point. And now I'm like, God damn it. Why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I probably at some point traded a lot of my stuff into GameStop thinking that I wanted to save up for like a new game or something like that. And now it's like I'm, I'm looking at this ridiculous nonsense, like people selling WarioWare Twisted for $300. And I'm just thinking to myself, wow, you know, mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that I sold it to GameStop. It's also entirely possible that it ended up in a box somewhere between moves or it ended up in the trash can somehow, you know, like in the moment, you just don't even think about the possibility that these things could be valuable later on, or that you may lose the ability to, um, experience a childhood favorite as you once did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just, just don't throw things out. Put them in a box somewhere. Hold on to it. Remember where it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to find my Donkey Kong bongos. They are <laughs> somewhere in my house. I'm going to get a picture at like 2 a.m. tonight from you. It's going to be, I yeah. found them. <laughs> I'll let you guys know next episode. I'm going to, I'm going to let you know yeah. if I found it. Well, Hopefully right. I do. 
Well, speaking of next episode, next episode will be our fifth episode, and we are we're gonna pop champagne bottles and fire off stuff because we made it to five episodes, which was our goal. Yes. <laughs> and we will be discussing the first video game crash. Very exciting topic. Yeah, it's gonna be a good episode, I think. Uh, we've got a lot of homework to do between now and then. Um, but uh, we actually have kind of a roadmap for the rest of the year. I figured I'd go over it real quick with everybody before we, we sign off. But uh, yeah, we have episode five, which will be the first crash. And you're like, but you said that's where you wanted to get to. Well, yeah, once we get to five, we got to get to 10. <laughs> uh, after that will be our October episode, which I think is going to be kind of fun. Uh, we were, we were, we had been tossing it up and then this, uh, this YouTube video fell and, fell in our laps and then I went and played this thing. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a really interesting Doom mod and maybe tie that into some other fun stuff. We haven't quite figured it out. We're still working on it. Uh, our November episode will be kind of uh, an interesting sidestep backwards into, before we leave the 1970s and then uh, we'll end the year with the obligatory game awards. Yes, very excited for that. Yeah, the instruction booklets, game awards, uh, and uh, they're not going to be what you think they are. <laughs> yes. I mean, we might have some, but, you know. And then after that... We might have some, some more traditional categories, but, you know, we're also going to have some nice freestyle categories, you know. Yeah. It's going to be our end of the year, just kind of have fun, shoot the shit for however long we feel about, and make up some really great topics. Yeah, but uh, we we appreciate everybody listening, tuning in to us rambling on about game preservation, and it's very important. Uh, I will definitely include some links with this episode. I think that's a good; uh, that'll be good for people who are curious about being like more invested in this. So, yeah. But uh, other than that, I guess we'll do our plugs and then wrap this up. So, Michael, where can the folks find you? Um, I. I guess I'm still on Twitter. Are people still on Twitter? It's X now. Yeah, it's I'm X on now. X. I'm on X and I'm also on threads. Is X going to give um, it to you? X going to give it. Yeah, I think my Twitter is, is still what it was last last month. Yeah. So I you know, certainly haven't changed it. At mackerel prawns. So, you know, sounding like a, a fish. fish. Okay. And then uh, Instagram, same deal, except there's an underscore between the two. Okay. Well, and, uh, and you can find me on uh, Instagram, on my and Facebook, on my art stuff, which is Press Art F Four, all one word. I'm also on the Cajun Greatness podcast. Uh, we've been on kind of a hiatus right now. We got some folks like moving, and so we're 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 in the midst of some stuff. Uh, we might try and get some some Cajun instruction booklet goodness at some point. We'll see. Uh, I'm also on Twitch on twitch.tv slash backwards hero, but I don't really do a whole lot. Uh, and as for the show, you can reach out to us at the instruction booklet, uh, on Facebook. We're also instruction underscore BK on the X slash Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're also on Linktree. You can find all of this stuff we mentioned, which is, uh, it's like link tr.ee slash instruction booklet. Uh, and then, uh, we have to thank up the, the parent channel, the AYCH folks. They have their extra AYCH extra on SoundCloud, Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify. That's where you listen to us. So they're also on Twitter on at AYCH podcast and, a and AYCH extra and then Instagram. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to us and for, uh, you know, make sure you preserve your games. Don't throw yeah, things away. Thanks, everyone. Find your Donkey Konga stuff. and uh, Find your Donkey Kong bongos. Yeah. So have a good night. And your, yeah. Have a good night.